Good morning, Knox. Virtual hug fest coming to you from Knox. Um, everyone turn to those in your quarantine bubble and give them a hug. Um, <laughs> hugs all around, lots of touching, awesome, awesome. And then all of you guys that don't have anybody to hug, like honestly, perth those hugs in the chat box. Um, Cause we, Lord knows, we all need hugs these days. Hope you're okay out there. It's been a week. It's important to acknowledge that we live and work on the traditional territories of the Haudenosaunee, Huron-Wendat, the Anishinaabe peoples, and this land is the meeting place of two treaties, the lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit and those of the First Nations of the Williams Treaty. Well, 2020, the favorable year. Really? Let's review the year 2020, shall we? January 3rd, the U.S. killed Soleimani in a drone strike in Baghdad and created unprecedented political uncertainty in the world. January 8th, Ukraine Airlines flight was shot down in Tehran with 176 deaths, many of whom were Canadian. The first COVID-19 death in Canada was March 8th, and the last time we worshipped in person here at Knox was March 15th due to this massive global pandemic. May 25th, death of George Floyd in Minneapolis, which sparked protests and ignited a racial reckoning in North America and around the world. August 4th, this week, the port of Beirut exploded, killing 158 people, injuring 6,000 with massive property damage and hundreds of thousands now homeless. Lord have mercy. Can we skip the rest of the year, please? Let's pray. God, we need you more than ever. We have faith in you that you have our good in mind, but sometimes it's hard. Our hearts are breaking. We're feeling battered. Sometimes it's hard to handle it, you know? Our mental health is really, really struggling. Jesus, be the center, be our guide, our light, and our song. Amen. Now let's read through Isaiah 61 again, but paying attention to the pronouns. Who are the different characters in this passage? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to prisoners, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Then they will rebuild the ancient ruins, they will raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations." Strangers in their land will pasture your fields, and foreigners will be your farmers and your vine dressers. For you will be called the priests of the Lord. You will be spoken as ministers of our God. You will eat the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy. 
over their portion. Therefore, they will possess a double portion in their land. Everlasting joy will be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery in the burnt offering. And I will faithfully give them their recompense and give them an everlasting covenant with them. Then their offering will be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them will recognize them because they are the offspring whom the Lord has blessed. I will rejoice greatly in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as the garden causes the things sown in it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Now that's big all the nations. But let's look at the role of God's people. When when Isaiah says you, he says you will be called priests and ministers and eat the wealth of nations. Instead of your shame, you will have a double portion. Well, this sounds like good news. God truly loved the Israelites, made a covenant with them to be his people, and he would be their God. Abram and his descendants were sent out, promised a powerful reputation, and commissioned with a huge job in Genesis 12. And it says in Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Isaiah's role has been and all Israel's role has been and always will be to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This is their part of the covenant of God. Now let's go to Isaiah 61. What is happening here? Why was the prophet Isaiah given the unhappy job of being God's spokesperson, bringing correction to Israel? What's going on? In Isaiah 61, we see the return of the southern kingdom of Judah from exile after being held captive in Babylon. Their judgment has already taken place, and now registration, restoration is at hand. It's sadly not paradise, though, as the Judeans were in conflict with each other, with those who remained in Jerusalem and those who were exiled. In this context, we see the Spirit of the Lord move Isaiah into action to speak words of freedom to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, why does Isaiah announce God's vengeance? The mention of the word vengeance should make you sit up straight and start to sweat. The inbreaking of God is bringing retribution at this moment. For what purpose? Krish Kandaya, in his book, God is Stranger, What Happens When God Turns Up? says, Many people fail to recognize God when he turned up. Whenever God did turn up, unannounced, uninvited, unrecognized, something truly revolutionary was about to kick off. What if God was deliberately strange? What if it is in trying to understand the uncontainable God that our minds are brought to life? What if it is in welcoming this unexpected God that our lives take on a whole new meaning? It may have to do with those who are mourning in Zion. The time of captivity is over, so Isaiah wasn't speaking to the Judeans. 
God is addressing the Gentiles, the God-seekers, who have turned to God and live in Jerusalem. They have witnessed the miracles of the one true God, acknowledged him as Lord, and gathered to worship him alongside the Israelites. This is good news for them. God, through Isaiah, was centering the marginalized in their city, rescuing them by bringing comfort, giving them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning. Not only that, these strangers were given new names. They were called Oaks of Righteousness, the planting of the Lord. What is their new role? These foreigners were released for a significant purpose. They weren't charity cases, but are now tasked to rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up former devastations, repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. They pasture flocks, grow crops, and make tasty wine. They have amazing skills to offer. When not held down, they're able to rise up to be city planners, architects, engineers, and farmers who provide delicious food for all to eat. If you recall our anti-racism panel from a couple of months ago, Dr. Esther Akolatse made a challenging comment that has stuck with me ever since. She commented that black people walk around making themselves small so that white people can feel big, and that white people walk around feeling big not knowing that people of color walk around making themselves feel small. She asked what it would be like for white people, black, and other people of color to be free to walk in our full stature with the gifts and talents that God has given us without diminishing. I mean, since Dr. Akalatze has a PhD, can you imagine how much more she would become if she lived without fear of offense? What a massive tragedy to restrict their skills, to not give strangers the dignity of work or fairly, fairly contribute to society. Isaiah declares that instead of humiliation, they will shout for joy over their portion. Everlasting joy will be theirs. In verse 8, God also makes an everlasting covenant with them. He extends his promises to them just as he promised the Israelites. Now, we don't really know the response of the Israelites to the message of Isaiah, but we see the emotional reaction of the Jews when Jesus comes along and reinforces this message in Luke 4. In hindsight, we know that Isaiah points us towards Jesus as the one who came to fulfill Scripture. Eugene writes in the message of Jesus in John 1 that the life light blazed out of the darkness. The darkness couldn't put it out. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. In Luke 4, 14 to 30, we see Jesus as this life light setting out his ministry, his three-year strategic plan. After Jesus is baptized and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove, he was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days and tempted by the devil. He returns to his hometown of Galilee in the power of the Spirit, opens Isaiah 61, and reads to all gathered. And all who were speaking well of him, wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. Whoa, what is happening? Isn't this Jesus that grew up as a mere boy down the street? Jesus came to fulfill the commandments that Israel had failed to do. 
Now, if we look and compare what happened in Isaiah 61 with Luke 4, you'll see it starts, he starts off well. He basically just reads the first two verses of Isaiah 61. And all of the words in italics, he kind of ignores along with the rest of the chapter. So he basically just reads the first parts of like verses 1 and 2. Now if we go to Luke 4, you'll see what he says. He basically removes the part where he brings comfort, (laughs) and then he adds a line saying, and recovery of sight to the blind, and then he ignores the rest of the chapter. So this is him setting out his, his ministry. If you notice any differences, um, something happened. So Jesus started off well, everybody was impressed, and then something set them off. In the rest of chapter 4, Jesus specified two people in his sermon. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Sidon was the land of Jezebel and the center of Baal worship, their religious enemies. Incredible that the Lord would speak to a widow in the midst of a land that worshipped Baal. She obeyed, was saved from death, witnessed a miracle, and declared, Now I know that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. And there were many lepers in Israel. Here's the second example that he gives. There were many lepers in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was the captain of the army and a leper. He represented Israel's military enemy, who conquered and enslaved those from Israel. One of those slave girls suggested that Naaman go to Elisha for healing. He obeys, is healed, and becomes a God follower. Jesus' message was crystal clear, and the response was that all of the people in Israel were filled with rage as they heard these things, and they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him off the cliff. Now let's pause and take a minute. Jesus comes, he sets out his ministry, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says who he came to seek and to save. There were many widows in Israel. There were many lepers in Israel. But God sent the prophets to their religious enemies and their military enemies. And they were not impressed. They were filled with rage. So then what is happening? Like, he basically sends his prophet to a widow who, who knows why she's a widow, Women can become widows at really early age. You know, she could have been 30 years old with a young son, but she's pushed to the brink of death. Like, she basically was making their last meal. Um, so what was it? The, what was the social injustice that, that pushed her to that edge of death? Why was she in that predicament? And with Naaman, he was... He had leprosy, but he was so high up in, his, in, his, in the military. So basically, anybody who has a disability has to work at least twice as hard to, to like, achieve anything. So he must have been super, super smart and strategic. 
And if we go back to Isaiah, what's happening to those who were mourning in Zion is that they were mourning because they weren't able to contribute to society, which everybody wants to do, and to work. And then they're released to use their skills and abilities, whereas before they were denied. This is what Isaiah, what God through Isaiah and Jesus, who is God, are saying both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our unannounced and uninvited God reminded them that his heart has always been for all nations to be a blessing through his people. I believe that Jesus remembered the obedience and faith of the widow from Sidon and Naaman the Syrian for hundreds of years. And the time was right to remind the Jews of their part in God's covenant. He, like Isaiah, re-centered the marginalized with the goal of extending a covenant relationship with them. I believe that he not only saw the widow from Sidon and Naaman the Syrian, but he also saw us. Jesus moved into the neighborhood for the purpose of freeing us from what holds us captive, making covenant with us and calling us to join his purposes on earth as it is in heaven. Again, the blessings don't just end with us. I believe that we as the church in North America have committed the same grievances as the Jews with an impoverished understanding of what it means to be Christ followers, being content with my salvation, my personal relationship with God, forgetting that his heart has always been for the oppressed, the captive, and the poor. We are to extend spirit-filled compassion and freedom to the nations and remember that it's not always about me and my own. Now let's look at some art. In this next slide, we see Hei Chi, who is a wonderful Chinese artist who paints the stories of the Bible in Asian contexts. He actually painted the first time I've ever seen an Asian God and an Asian Jesus, and it was mind-blowing. I watched an interview of the famous preacher T.D. Jakes talk about the story of the Good Samaritan that is pictured here. He said that the story usually focuses on the Good Samaritan who helps the abused man, but what needs to be preached more is the way the religious people turned and looked away because this same tendency continues in the church. The church has historically been silent about anti-black racism and racism in general. Jakes urges the church to have the courage to open our mouths to speak. Let's increase our imagination for what God is calling us to do. So the next slide is we have The Lord of the Harvest by Shin Meng. I believe when we lack the ability to see a different future, artists can prophetically show us a world where there is equality, justice, and shalom. The central character here is clearly Jesus, the Lord of the Harvest. But normally in art, we are drawn only to the main object, and everything else fades into the background. In this piece, Jesus remains the central figure, but the panels surrounding Jesus are filled with people, representing many nations with their own stories. In Jesus, there is room for all of us, all of our stories, our hopes, our dreams, our talents, and the color of our skin. God has long been interested in bringing wholeness to all who witness the miracles of God and come to faith. In the year 2020, in faith, we can proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. What if this is our chance to shoot our shot, to honestly and courageously assess the state of our world when it comes to anti-racism and what actions God is calling us to do? 
Over the years, the church in Canada has also experienced marginalization as we have lost power and influence in our society. But it's all not doom and gloom. Our spirit-filled role is not to overthrow empire, but in faith, repair ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.